My conversation today is with a true trailblazer. She is the type of person that you hope you never have to use, but if you had to, you'd be relieved to know that she's on your side. I'm talking about the big time divorce attorney, Laura Wasser. Laura is considered among the most important legal voices in the United States and has guided so many high profile clients through what can be one of the messiest moments of their lives, divorce. Maybe some of you have been through one, I know I have. Some of the celebrities that Laura has represented include Angelina Jolie, Chris Jenner, Johnny Depp. Laura has written books. She serves on numerous boards, hosts her own podcast, and started an online divorce service that helps people handle amicable divorces with less professional help. I could go on and on about Laura, but I want you to listen to this interview. I'm really excited to share it with you. Let's get right to it. So you handle a lot of very well-known clients when they're going through a divorce. What is the first thing you say to someone when they contact you? Well, I don't usually speak with them first. My assistant does. We've got like a really good kind of screening system so that in the event both people were to call or we had spoken to one like years ago or maybe even represented one years ago and the other one called. So usually it's my assistant, Vicky, and she does what we call like an intake call and she gets some information from them about how long they've been married, whether they've got children, what the issues are. Um, if we know who's representing their spouse, uh, first she'll just check who their spouse is and make sure there's no conflict. And once she gets kind of that intake information, then she'll pass it on to me and we'll decide whether it makes sense. We'll see if there is a conflict. And then usually she'll, she'll schedule an appointment or a call. And so then the first thing I say is usually what's going on? I mean, they, you know, it's, it, you walk a thin line as a family law attorney because you want to have compassion, obviously. I mean, it's the one kind of a lawsuit that you'll be in where these people are going to have to move on and see each other if they've got kids, you know, in the future. It's not like, you know, a slip and fall or a landlord tenant where you're right. like, Fuck, I'm never going to see them again. So you want to handle it the right way. You want to kind of encourage them to be reasonable because it will save them money and, and toxicity and aggravation. So and they also need to tell their story. So I let them speak for a while because I want to hear what's going on and even just how they relay the information. If they lead with, he fucking cheated on me and he's horrible and whatever else, we know we have somebody that's hurt and angry and how are we going to deal with that? If they're very kind of like, we have $10 million and you know the majority of it was accrued during our marriage, then I'm like, okay, they're all business. We're going to divide money. It's community property. So I want to hear their take on it. And then usually... I'll give them kind of a family law 101 type of a spiel because most of the time people are coming to get information. They want education because they're scared and they want to see what it's going to look like as they move through it and at the end. And that's why they come. And then they also want to see, I guess, if they've got a rapport with me and the other members of my firm. Yeah. And different lawyers are known for different things, right? I mean, Obviously, there are people who are known for being contentious. Whenever my friends call me and they are thinking about getting divorced, I will say, stay away. Unless you want a contentious divorce, stay away from this person, speak to that person, because people are known for settling fast or drawing things out or really playing dirty. So interesting that you listen to their story and then work out what kind of what what approach you're going to take, right? If indeed you're even going to work with them. How do you decide how you're going to work with people? Actually, Vicky decides a lot of that. Like she'll put on her notes, like, you know, $50 million, you know, wife cheated on him, angry, but reasonable. Or, you know, but at, sometimes at the end, she'll write, 
run away or no, oh I don't think God. this is right for us. Had the crazy. And usually she can screen those out pretty well. But if she can't, then I'll have a call and I'll usually figure it out. Um, you know, there's been a big upswing in allegations of domestic violence over the last 10 years. And, you know, obviously those are very important cases. But unless there's something that I see to be, you know, really genuine, I probably will pass. I just I feel like they're too often being kind of used as a sword instead of actually doing good. And we're family law attorneys. We're not criminal attorneys. We're not. You know, there are people that specialize in that. So that's one thing I'll usually say, maybe this isn't a good fit. If somebody comes in with completely- I hate that. We're not a good fit. That's my least favorite thing to hear. (laughs) We're just not a good fit. Oh, I know. I probably would say, oh, just, I'm not a good fit for you. How's that? Right. You know, sometimes, most of the time they're open to hearing what I have to say. If they come in and they're like, I'm the mom, I want full custody. I get the house. He cheated on me. He's an asshole. I'm like- okay, here's how the law works. And you don't just get the kids because you're the mom and he can be an asshole as a spouse, but he's not necessarily an asshole as a dad. And are you willing to come around to my way of thinking? Because that's probably how it's going to end up. And if she's like, no, then I'll say, I know you hate this. Not a good fit. Like, let me, let me send you to somebody else. (laughs) You hear so often about cases going horribly AWOL and you, you look at the facts and you're like, how is this possible? California law maintains that it's 50-50. Whatever was earned in the relationship, you split down the middle. There's no debating that. And yet I've spoken to so many people who say, well, you know, I got, I didn't get that. And I'm like, well, how is that possible in California? Sometimes it goes that way because people are actually misinformed. If you marry a multi-million dollar rock star, but he made his multi-million dollars before he met you, he didn't make them during the course of the relationship, he may not be obligated to pay you that much in the end. There might have been a prenup. Um, There might have been other extenuating circumstances that lead to a different outcome than what somebody would have thought. But the best answer I can give you is that likely when things go on and on and on like that and really get dragged out, it's because the attorneys have probably done some kind of a disservice to one client or the other and not given them realistic expectations at the outset. Because there's so many times that I see a case where I'm like, this is how it's going to end up. The only variable here is, how much I'm going to get paid, how much the other lawyer is going to get paid, and how angry the two of you are going to get in the process, because this is how it's going to end up. And by the way, when I represent the spouse, which I most of the time do, who has, who's the greater earner or a greater asset holder, whether it's the man or the woman, I will generally say to that person, here's how it's going to end up. And here's what I think you should do. You should make an offer of this plus a little extra. And here's why. Because if we don't settle, then you're going to pay that little extra to me and the other lawyer and in aggravation. Let's just give it to your spouse now. And if we come back around a year later and we're still arguing, we're still fighting, you can say, remember this day in May of of 2022 when I offered you this and look where we are now. Mm. And it may not make you feel better and it won't get you the money back, but at least this is a business transaction. And like what you said before about, you know, California is a no fault and it's not his or her fault. It is his or her fault. They're an asshole. There's no question about that. Yeah, but but not according, not in the eyes of the law. Someone is a douchebag for cheating on you, but the law is like, yeah, and that should not affect their paternal rights or whatever. Correct. So you deal with that part of it in therapy or with your support system and your friends and all that, but not within the legal system where all that's going to happen is that big bills are going to get generated. And 
again, there's plenty of people in Southern California where I practice that can absolutely afford to pay divorce attorneys, you know, thousands of dollars per hour. But the majority of this country is not in that situation. And if you think about the fact that half of the marriages in this country end in divorce, then you have to imagine that there has to be a more cost-effective way of doing this, not just cost financially, but cost to your psyche. And that's that's why yeah. we created It's Over Easy, which is now divorce.com, to be able to go online, learn about it, even if you're not having a consultation, educate yourself, get the forms, figure out what you need and effectuate some kind of an agreement with your spouse without spending hundreds of thousands of dollars. Yeah. I mean, I honestly wonder why there's two things that I think should be taught in schools to all kids, financial literacy and marriage and divorce, anything to do with legal contracts. We're just not taught about it until it's too far down the line. So you say that you're not a therapist to your clients, but you're dealing with people at their most vulnerable. So, and Vicky is, right? <laughs> yes. So uh, Vicky's like your work wife, I can tell. So <laughs> how do you manage people's elevated emotions? I try, I'm like, look, I do commiserate. We've all been there. You know, I've had a messy breakup. I've worried about, are my kids going to be okay? I've worried about, am I going to be able to afford private school or my mortgage or whatever? I get it. It doesn't serve you to have me at my hourly rate commiserating or offering like, you know, helpful, like go girl, whatever. I mean, I'm there, I'll do it. But really let's focus on the law and let's apply it to the facts of your situation and let's make a good deal for you. Let's get you out of this. And I try to say that in a reasonable way that still has some compassion. And most of the time they get it and they appreciate it because I have seen other attorneys who all of a sudden become like besties with the person and they're charging them to hear about like their first date on Bumble or something. And I think that's not really. Appropriate. Yeah, I think it's unethical to do that. Do you ever have clients that challenge your moral compass? I suppose. I mean, again, my line of work is relatively cut and dry. If somebody came to me and said, look, I've got a bank account in the Cayman Islands and I don't want to tell her about it, I'd be like, too bad. We have to tell her there's full disclosure in the state. I'm not getting dragged into this. I mean, you know, I have clients that, you know, usually it's custody where somebody may not be the greatest parent. And what I'll say is, listen, if we're really fighting for custody, what I would do if I were you so that you're really equipped when we win is go take a couple parenting classes so that you understand how to do this. I mean, that's, you know, nobody, I, I would not sacrifice not only myself or my entire firm, I'm the managing partner of a 16 person firm for, for somebody that wanted to like lie or do something that was, you know, unethical legally. But there's a, there is gray area in terms of like, are we really fighting for this person to get custody when we know he or she isn't equipped? I mean, I more mean, have you ever represented someone who, as you get into the case, they turn out to be someone that they did not present themselves to be? Where you're going, oh, okay, I went into this thinking this person was a certain way based on my conversations with them, but actually this information is coming to light that maybe they there's some things they didn't tell me and now I'm in this case. Has that ever happened to you? Yeah, but it doesn't necessarily matter. I mean, so what What am I going to find out? I'm going to find out that they actually had multiple affairs. It doesn't matter me. I don't need to like them. What am I going to find out? Like if I found out that they were abusive or that they like had a drug, I mean, none of it really affects my representation of them. And remember, I don't need to like them. Right. Interesting. Wow. You see, 
that's that's fascinating to me that you you have represented people that you don't necessarily like but you are upholding the law and you are moving forward despite your personal feelings that's it's like now again different for maybe a criminal defense attorney i think that would be harder i have friends that are criminal defense attorneys i'm like you know he's guilty and you're still representing him but thankfully i don't have that ethical quandary i just apply the law you can be a total douche you're still going to get spousal support from your wife if she makes more money than you right Okay, so you grew up with two parents who were lawyers. Yeah. So you knew it was possible for you as a woman to be a lawyer. They, how old were you when they got divorced? I was 16 and I was at boarding school in Switzerland. I already thought I knew everything, so it did not affect me that much. But just to back up, not only did I know it was possible for me to be a lawyer, I was doing everything to avoid it. They named me really? Laura Allison Wasser so that my initials are law. Like they just pushed it so they anointed hard. you yes and I was like there I'm never doing that and then of course here I am so oh isn't that that happens so often where you're like oh I said I would never be like that my parents in that capacity and here I am so you said your parents divorce did not really affect you why did it not really affect you I, you know, it, but having grown up here in LA, by the time I was 14, I thought I was like fully formed. I now know that I wasn't. But by 16, I was living abroad. I had kind of seen the world. I was one foot out the door. Um, anything that would have, I mean, I didn't grow up in two homes. I, and my parents also were the most amazing examples of civility and respect and post-dissolution love for each other. So, I so mean, you knew that, that was possible too. Yes. And that's definitely affected how I've had relationships with men and the fathers of my children and all that. All this amicable kind of co-parenting stuff comes rather easily to me because I watch my parents do it. Um, so, you know, to say it didn't affect me, of course, everything affects one. I, I get that. But I was it wasn't like I was going back and forth to, to two different homes when I was growing up. I was already kind of out of the home by the time that this happened. So your parents had more of a kind of conscious uncoupling. Totally. Wow. I'm always so impressed. I'm the product of a very, very messy divorce as a child. And then I got divorced. I was first married at age 17 and um, divorced at 22. And now I've been married for 20 years. So I've had the experience of two divorces and, right. you know, and a long term marriage. Touch wood. So <laughs> it does it make I mean, look, we only learn from our experiences and yes. what you went through with your parents. I mean, it's exactly the reason that I do what I do, not so much at the firm, which is a job. And I still teach the younger associates and partners there how to do it this way. But with divorce.com, too, we have to move that needle so that people in our kids generation grow up and look, I, I don't wish divorce on anybody, but let's be realistic. It's happening. And when it does, we have to be able to do it better than how our parents did it. Not mine. They, they knew what they were doing. But for the most part, people in our generation, if their parents got divorced, it wasn't pretty. No, and the it wasn't. They did that, not have any tools. Yeah. And we have tools and we have ways to do it. And so I do, I feel the needle is moving slowly, but I do think it's moving and we just have to be better about it for our kids' sakes. Yeah, very much so. So you were married for a little over a year when you were in your 20s. Yes. How would you do marriage differently today? Completely. I mean, you know, even the relationships that I've had since then, the fathers of both of my sons and other long-term relationships that I've been in, 
I just come to them with so much more knowledge, so much more respect. And as you said, tools, the communication is so key in being able to have extended relationships and, and, and make sure that you're properly getting information back and forth. I just think that that's definitely what I would do in a marriage or, or like I said, in a long-term monogamous relationship. As a lawyer, I can imagine you're extremely adept at listening, at mirroring back what you're hearing, about clarifying when you're confused or making sure that the other person understands what you're saying. But I am wondering if in your own personal relationships, because you're around conflict, because of your job, are you conflict avoidant in any way in your own life? Definitely. I definitely <laughs> think so. I, I pick my battles um, and I try to be as thoughtful and eloquent as I can. But obviously when it's personal, it comes out differently. But yes, I mean, I don't like, it's funny. Most of the long-term relationships I've had have said to me like, you know, you ne we never argue. And I said, that's because I pretty much say right from the beginning, if there's an issue, but I don't have big arguments usually because again, I have learned in relationships to bring something up. I don't harbor lots of resentment. I will admit though, that there have been a few relationships that I've had both romantic and not where I've let things go for too long because I was conflict avoidant and then the resentment built up so much. And then by the, the ship had sailed, I was done. There was no getting back into it. But, but more generally speaking, I think if you learn those tools early on, which is why I suggest that couples that are about to get married or that are talking about prenuptial agreements, go to some kind of counseling before they get married. I say that too. Good. That's what I tell everybody when they're thinking yeah. of getting married. I say, get into couples counseling now so that you've got the language and the tools when stuff starts to go, you know, feel uncomfortable right. so that Absolutely. you're not jumping in in a crisis. You've already yes. built that muscle. Yes. Do you find it hard to find partners who are equals to you? You mean financially speaking? In every capacity, emotionally, financially, just someone who's an equal partner? Yes, I suppose so. I mean, again, I think everybody brings different things to the table. Um, but yes, as I've gotten older, it has been, I mean, maybe I'm a little bit more picky. It's just, it hasn't been quite as simple as just like falling into something with somebody. And like, we, it's not just baggage, it's experience, it's family members, good and bad that we have at, you know, after a certain amount of years. And so it does make it a little bit more difficult to easily kind of entwine with somebody. Yeah. Have you ever been on a dating app? No. <laughs> I'm so curious how that would be for you, like how you would fill out your profile. Oh, me too. Somebody asked me the other day something about a profile and I was like, what, what profile? And they're like, for your dating app. And I was like, I've never been on one. I mean, I, I've been very lucky. I've been always able to meet people through friends and whatever else, but I don't, you know, it would probably be a good self-reflective thing to fill out a dating app profile just to see what I'd say. Yeah, I'm always really curious. Like I've been married for so long, but I'm really curious what kind of person I would get matched with if yeah. I filled one of those out. So as a lawyer, you've obviously seen some pretty bad behavior um, in your years as a divorce attorney. As a mom to two sons, do you feel inclined to educate them about marriage based on what you've seen? Yes. I mean, they're young. My oldest just turned 17 and they also just because they've been driving in cars with me for, you know, their entire lives, not only are they masters of profanity, but they also know a bit about 
they're usually more interested in things like child custody. Like, well, what, how old was that little boy that you were talking about? And is he going to be able to see his dad? I mean, they can't help not hearing it. And they, it's foreign to them just in terms of like, my exes and I have never had any kind of a written anything between us in terms of finances or anything. We've always worked it out. We have schedules that like I'll usually put together at the beginning of the year. And then by about, you know, March, we've strayed from them because the kids just go back and forth and everybody's always at everybody's house, mostly mine. Cause I have all the food, but, um, and that goes for their dads too. Lots of food, lots of eating happening. Wait, here, do you but- have both dads? Have you had both dads over at the same time? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Wow. This is impressive, I have to say. Well, look, I have not only a lot of experience with this, but they probably also have a, a bit of trepidation about maybe not it not working out so well. So everybody's very motivated to make it work. <laughs> I like that. Everyone's very motivated. I like your choice of words there. I actually saw that you joked in an interview that you don't want to remarry and that you're just an old hippie procreating with anyone that comes along, which I figured you must have said a long time ago. But <laughs> yeah. right. It's like one of those quotes that, that follows you around. Wonder in the, when he was interviewing me for interview magazine, but he still teases me about it. I can't even believe I said that. And he was like, you're an old hippie because I wasn't old then. Now I'm old and now I can't procreate probably. So, yeah. So would do you believe in the institution of marriage today in 2022? Not for me, but for others, sure. Why not for you? I don't think that I'm interested in having the state play a part in my personal or financial affairs. I mean, as it is, I've got kids, so the state's going to play a part in that a bit, but we've never invited the state into it because, as I said, none of our things are kind of reduced to writing. And by the way, I do not recommend this. I want to go on record and saying that is it is not the right way to do it. We can do it because I know the ins and the outs of the law. But for most people, you mean with your visitation with your kids? Yes, it's it's and for financial matters, it's important to have things reduced to writing and it's important to have court orders and, and very few exceptions to that exist. And as a lawyer, I wholeheartedly encourage people to have things reduced to writing so that there's no question later on or whatever else. But but for the most part, um, I just feel like, I mean, I had a wedding and it was beautiful. It was at the Hotel Bel Air and I was 25 years old. The pictures are still gorgeous. I don't think I could do better than that. I can't, it's not so much why don't I believe in it. It's what's the reason that would make sense for me. And I can't think of one. I mean, personally, I feel like there needs to be an update of what marriage means and it's down to two individuals to ideate that and to agree with that but i i think it is obviously a huge commitment because you can get into it and then all right it takes a lot to get out of it yes absolutely and that's the part that people aren't really educated about and why i love that you have it's divorce.com now yes that's a great obviously that's the best url how long were you waiting for that one I didn't buy it. The people that own divorce.com waited a long time and I'm pretty sure paid quite a bit. And then they began to roll the rest of us up. I knew them at the time, but yes, and they, they waited a long time and it's, it's great. And my, 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 my title there is chief of divorce evolution. So it's code which I like. And so um, I not only am I kind of the face of it, but I also am the one person there that has practiced family law and can kind of give them, you know, at least in most of the states, I have an understanding of how the law works because we are 
nationwide. And it really is, I think, just a great tool for people that are at a point where they just they don't want to start completely burning the house down, so to speak, with the divorce. Do you think that divorce practices need to evolve? Yeah. And I have to say that over the last 10 years, I haven't necessarily seen them evolve in the right direction, which is also why I'm such a a big proponent of the do-it-yourself model. And some of my colleagues have said, aren't you totally cannibalizing us? And I'm like, no, because there's always going to be people that have complicated, complex divorces. Like you were saying, how could it go so wrong? Isn't it cut and dry? But let's say I have a a corporation and I owned it before or I started it before we got married. And then when I was married, I worked at it and it really, really increased in value. So there's like a hybrid of community property and separate property, or there's a, I create a television show and it's a big hit. And then I get married and they have a sequel spinoff. And so what royalties and residuals from what kind of, you know, the shows and the packaging there, there are complicated ones, but for the most part, it's pretty simple. And yet people get so conflicted and it's such a great way to earn a dollar off of somebody else's pain and fear and confusion. And that bothers me. And I feel like it wasn't like that quite as much when I started practicing. I think COVID and uncertainty and you know the 24 hour news cycle has made it so much easier for people that may not have the best intentions to really make a lot of money off of other people's misery. And I don't, I don't like that. That doesn't sit well with me. How have you handled, you said that over the last 10 years, you've seen an uptick in domestic violence cases. Have you also seen an uptick in sexual assault cases with the birth of the Me Too movement? Because I have uh, a lot of female friends who were the, who experienced sexual assault. And then I've also had men who were falsely accused. So I, I mean, I hear stories on both sides of it, but I'm wondering if in the cases that you're working on, if you've seen an uptick in those kinds of cases as well. Not so much in my cases. It's more violence than sexual abuse, because again, I think people don't necessarily understand that you can rape your spouse. Yes, spousal abuse and spousal rape is a very real thing. We don't hear about it as much because they're already getting divorced and they probably have abuse claims there. Um, So no, I mean, I hear about it because I live in the world and I've seen what's going on. And I have to say, one of the things that like enrages me more than anything is false accusations, not so much because, oh, these poor, and and I guess there could be accusations against women that are false too. So this, this poor person that's being, you know, accused, how could this happen? Yes, that's awful. But what's worse is that it's taking the court time and the attention away from real victims of domestic violence and that and usually they're the ones that don't get the attention they don't have the financial abilities or the linguistic it's a lot of people where english isn't their first language and they're kind of getting shoved out of the system because some of the people who might have more interesting stories or more money or more celebrity are coming forward and taking just gobs of time in courtrooms with these allegations and that it's it's a very big problem Yeah. And if they even make it to court, a lot of the cases are just the court of public opinion. There is no due process whatsoever. And those are the ones that I, some of them, some of those ones I've been really challenged by because they're never going to make it to court. Um, Speaking of which, I saw that you got deposed in the Johnny Amber case. And I'm sorry that you got deposed. That is a case that is monopolizing all media at the moment. And uh, it really just reminded me how 
people are obsessed with celebrity crisis, obsessed. And you've been at the center of many of those high profile divorce crises. And what is the biggest difference between a regular divorce with, you know, Jane Doe and a celebrity divorce? There's only one or two, frankly. I mean, there's so much more the same, whether you're like thinking, oh God, you know, who's going to walk the red carpet with me? Or, oh God, who's going to go to the company Christmas party with me in the, you know, city church? Those things remain the same. The dollars, you know, may have more zeros at the end of them for celebrities, but the biggest difference is the press. You know, you are under a microscope. The schadenfreude is amazing. The public wants to know. And then, you know, for the most part, celebrity couples these days want to keep it on the DL, especially if they have kids. They really want to keep it quiet. Everybody is kind of following the conscious uncoupling model. And even if they don't get along so well, they smile and say they get along well, because that's kind of the norm. And frankly, I think it's a good thing. Fake it till you make it. Make nice. Don't give the tabloids anything to talk about so that when your kid's in line at the grocery store with the nanny, he doesn't see you on the newsstand with your face all squinched up saying something horrible about his dad. That's fine. Um, But I think that sometimes you have individuals that use it to their benefit, whether it's just their their celebrity gets, you know, driven up because they've made a messy situation or the threat of, well, you everybody loves you and I'm going to turn this into something bad if you don't pay me this or let me have this custody situation or whatever it is. So, again, you are at the risk of being taken advantage of if you are in the public eye, because you, I guess, need to care what the public thinks about you. And so that's a that's a scary thing because of exactly what you said, our, our culture, because it's certainly not just the United States, is so absolutely enamored and driven by, I can't believe how many people are watching that trial. It's amazing to me. I mean, the people that reached out to me after the deposition took place in December of 2020, and I think, and it must have said it across the bottom of the screen. And yet, and there was Christmas decorations in the background. And yet people were like, how is Virginia? Are you enjoying? And I'm like, I'm not in Virginia. That was two years ago. So yeah, I think, I think people are watching. I, 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 I'm befuddled as to why it's so interesting, but I think that it is something that we really do. And, and this, it wasn't like that before the advent of TMZ and Radar Online and these new social media. Things, Constantly, social media, it wasn't like that. Yes, there were PR people and yes, there was crisis control and we had to keep things quiet, but it wasn't so immediate. And frankly, they were a little bit more careful back then because they wouldn't just put something up if they didn't fact check and make sure it was true. And now because it moved so quickly, they are not as careful as they were in the past. And that can be really problematic for somebody whose life is kind of in the balance based on their reputation or their public persona. And you know, quite frankly, with that case, the the amount of intimate personal details that only the people who were in that relationship should know about that are now made public. I don't think we've ever seen a case with this level of exposure on a personal, deeply intimate level. And I hope it's not a precedent for what can happen in the future now. And by the way, the choice of that, that case being broadcast live you know one party wanted it broadcast live and the other one didn't and it can also be used to someone's advantage or disadvantage the fact that again the the court of public opinion is so powerful today that you cannot escape it 
You just cannot. Even when something, a case is being tried in the courtroom, the fact that everybody has an opinion on it, that the court of public opinion has almost taken over. It doesn't matter. It will matter what the end result is, of course. But the public opinion is the one that dictates whether that person is going to be hired again, whether they're going to be what kind of relationship, like it's just dictating the what their life will look like moving forward. And it, it should not have that amount of power. Also probably true. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. <laughs> you are listening to VS Voices. Stick around and we'll be right back after this short break. How was your dad's practice different to how yours is today? Well, he's male. And so I think he did far less custody than I do. He had a different way of doing things. He was always very settlement oriented. I did learn that from him. And that's kind of the thrust of how our firm functions. But he um, probably did more litigation. I think at the time it was less cost prohibitive to actually get into a courtroom and try a case. I just finished a six day trial downtown at Los Angeles Superior Court. And I mean, it was it was brutal. And, you know, people are still wearing masks and they're, they're just getting those days. It took probably six years to work up to this. I mean, you're talking about a kid who was, you know, he's just turning seven. And so, I mean, I feel like it was just a different time back then. I think the, the core values that my dad brought and brings to the practice were, were similar. Although, like I said, he's a dude. So I remember and the clientele and the clientele is similar, right? Because he represented a lot of high profile people as well. Yes. Yes. He was kind of the guy back then and they would call him. He definitely represented more men though. Like it was very clear that he was like the guys and I definitely do very much both. Um, we both and our firm generally takes the, um, the breadwinner or the more moneyed spouse that just seems to be how it turns out which for me is a benefit because that's usually the more business-minded person and i enjoy mm. working with somebody who wants to be reasonable and considers this a financial settlement and is listening to what i say like i said before like i know how this is going to end up now take another x amount of dollars and put it in the pot because that's what we should do to get it settled um but again he's a guy like i remember once when i was young he, I mean, I was a young attorney. I had a client who had a child already with his wife and they're in the process of getting divorced. And as sometimes happens, they ended up sleeping together again. And a couple months later, my client came in and said, I don't know what to do. She's pregnant. Wow. The fact that in 2022, Roe v. Wade can be overthrown is nothing less than shocking and abysmal and will put women's rights back centuries. And right now we're just trying to work out whether this can actually happen or not. Today, abortion is still legal in a multitude of states, but who knows? This is a very short window that we have to actually work out what can be done. Well, and you, and this is the time more than ever where we really have to get out and vote in our state primaries, which most people don't, you know, usually do, and really focus on what's happening in our state. I mean, not so much California turning, but is California going to be willing to be a sovereign state? Are we going to be willing to take up some of the excess from the other states that aren't? Things that we didn't have to think about before, we have to think about now. And it's it's unfortunate, frankly, and it's scary for, I was just saying, like the youth, you know, we need to do divorce better for the youth. 
thankfully I have two boys, but still they're going to have relationships with young women. And we need to make sure that there's a safe place for people to go. I watched an interview this morning with Gloria Steinem and Katie Couric, and they were asking Gloria what she thought. And she's just, I mean, all of her work now, you know, going, working up to this and seeing what's happening right now. Can you imagine how she must feel? I'd love to know who the voices are that inspire you. Well, my mom was, she passed away a couple of years ago. She was hugely inspirational to me. She embodied everything that I think what you, why you decided to do this podcast. She was beautiful inside and out, but she was strong and she was wise. And she was also a real woman's woman. Like, you know, we talk about how you, we want to bring women under our wing and bring them up and whatever. But so often I see that women don't actually do that. And we may be worse at it than some of our male counterparts in terms of mentoring and, and really teaching the younger generation. My mom was great like that. She never had a moment that I was able to ascertain of, of jealousy about me or my girlfriends being younger or a teen. She, she aged with grace. She was the consummate cheerleader for me. She was able to treat young and old and rich and poor and, and beautiful and not so aesthetically pleasing with the most respect and her voice was one that I still hear every day because you know I I'm still miss her terribly but she was one and then you know you have the you have the glorias you have the eleanor roosevelts you have the people who were really willing to effectuate change even if it wasn't maybe the most attractive or palatable thing in the moment and you know I I respect that you know being a divorce lawyer it's not exactly like I'm curing cancer or, you know, doing brain surgery. It's something small, but I feel like really, as I said earlier, moving the needle, changing people's lives, helping with transitions and next chapters, you know, it's, it's a good job if you can get it. I don't think it is small. I think it's actually a very, one of the most significant times in someone's life that you have a, a very heavy hand in dictating and helping shape how that's going to be. And having been the product of a divorce that was atrocious, you know, and, and again, largely down to the way I think my parents, you know, were uneducated and were guided by their lawyers. So I, I think you have a huge responsibility and the impact on kids' lives. And it's, it's, you know, it's a really serious thing. Yes. It's not, you know, brain cancer, but it is still incredibly serious. So who who are the female role models that are living today outside of Gloria that you admire? I really admire Jane Fonda. I think she's wonderful. I think she really encapsulates, you know, wisdom and rebellion and political awareness and also femininity, which I think is, you know, so often we're you have to pick one or the other. But the idea that I looked you know, chic and attractive to somebody while at the same time, like doing a job and being serious and hopefully somewhat respected by the judicial officer before whom I was appearing. That that means a lot. Um, by the way, Jane Fonda is one of my all time favorite interviews that I've ever done. She talks about marriage and divorce quite a lot, actually, and her divorce from Ted Turner. We talked about mm -hmm. that quite extensively. Um, you know, it's interesting. You were talking about women supporting women and that your mom um you know was an incredible role model for you and i was thinking about how 
It is quite sad that we don't have more role models that ro truly role model what it looks like to mentor other women. Because I think there is still a scarcity mindset. Women have not been doing your job or even my job. Look how many women, you know, host their own shows, like two. You know, it's terrible. And I think women have not been in the workforce in areas that we're in for that long. And there is still a scarcity mindset of like, oh, if there's more women in the room, maybe I'm going to lose something. I'm not saying I necessarily have that or you have that, but a lot of women do. And that prohibits them from freely sharing their experience or mentoring anybody. And I, I very strongly believe in, in mentorship. I, I've had so many women mentor me and men as well. And I would not be the person I am today without mentorship. I agree. And I feel like it's not just the matter of like, who's the best woman in the room, but the idea of like, I had to claw and scratch my way to the top and you have to do it too. No, we, the reason, and by the way, I didn't, I was very lucky, but you know, somebody else clawed their way up. I kind of maybe more gracefully climbed my way up and whoever else is going to come, I'm going to give them a hand coming up because that's what we want is for it to be easier to ascend to a certain level and then being able to bring other people up to that level. And so really the idea of, like you said, mentorship, male and females, but particularly females, really being able to help other women do well in whatever you do well in, whether that's, you know, whether that's hosting a, t a show or whether it's being an attorney or whether it's speaking at certain engagements, giving people that sense of empowerment, super important. As Gloria Steinem says, we are linked, we are not ranked. Yes. Which I love. Okay, so you being the top-notch divorce attorney that you are, I feel like uh, I want to ask you some basic questions for our audience who are listening. What are your top three tips before marriage and your top three to successfully divorce? And I know that you have a lot of this on your on divorce.com, but I'm just curious for anyone listening. All right. So top three tips going into a marriage. One, get communication tools. Like you said earlier, figure out how to communicate well and problem solve while things are still good. Two, uh, don't abdicate financial responsibility to your spouse, whether he has more or less money or earning capacity than you do. Both of you, if you're gonna be partners, should take part in decision-making and investments. And if you've got a business manager that you meet with quarterly, go to those meetings, um, have your own credit card. So many women in their 60s come to me, the most sophisticated, well-dressed, could get a table at any restaurant in LA. They don't even have their own credit card. Have established credit, have your own credit. And then, you know, the third really is, make sure you see the other person's perspective. Um, you know, as you're in an argument or as you're doing things in your relationship, as you're getting ready for it, see how he or she feels about things or how you would see it from their perspective. It really helps in terms of battling resentment or even conflict aversion, figuring out ways like, what, what do I think he thinks about this? I think that's important. And then for the divorce, the communication part is still really true. I say to people so often, nobody knows your spouse better than you. You want me to get in here, write a letter to his or her lawyer, that's gonna cost this much. Then the letter goes to them. It's like a game of telephone. To the extent you can, and to the extent that you can do it reasonably and civilly, reach out, 
saying, look, this is really important to me. Can we resolve this part of it? Or what do you think about this? And if it doesn't work because you just can't communicate at this, at this time and place, maybe figure out a way that everybody gets in the room or maybe we do some mediation back and forth or something like that. So communication is still really important. Remember that this is a person that you're probably gonna know for the rest of your life if you've got kids. So don't burn too many bridges. It's okay if you're getting divorced, it's gonna be shitty and you're gonna say some things, but try not to get too bad. And then the third is be kind. We're so much kinder to the fucking strangers that we don't even know on the street or in the elevator than we are to our own loved ones, particularly someone who at some point you looked into their eyes and said, I do, or held on to their hand while you were on the delivery room table or whatever else. Figure out what it was that you loved about this person and try to hang on to it as you go through this difficult time. Don't transfer all that love and admiration and respect to somebody that you're paying by the hour. It's mm. you guys in this. You got into it. You guys get out of it. Let us be your spirit guides and help you. But don't assign too much power to a person or, or, or love to a person that you're paying and that's making money from your conflict. Wow. Laura Wasser, spirit guide of dissolutions. <laughs> Thank you so much. This has been such a treat. I know that our listeners are going to really enjoy hearing from you. Well, I, I, I thank you for having me on. I'm so glad that I got to meet with you and speak to you. I am it's too. Been really cool. Thank you. You have been listening to VS Voices. My thanks to today's guest, Laura Wasser. If you love our show, please comment, like, and subscribe to wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And as always, please follow me, Amanda DeCadene, on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Thank you so much for listening. VS Voices is part of Victoria's Secret's ongoing commitment to become one of the world's leading advocates for women. To deliver on that promise together, we have created the Voices platform to do just that. Amplify the voices, represent the views, and learn from the unique perspectives of women from every background. Sharing stories bring us closer together, and it's how we move forward open up dialogue and raise the game.